you know what happens when you're on the doorstep of a college basketball season? You have conference media days before the season begins, and that's what happened today. Right up here at our brand spanking new Henrico Sports and Events Center up there at Virginia Center Commons, the Atlantic 10 Women's Basketball Media Day was held appropriately because that's where their conference tournament is headed for the next couple of years as they help christen and inaugurate our new building up there. And it was a really good day. Both Sean Robertson from CBS 6, who's co-hosting with me this afternoon, and yours truly were up there. Big Al was up there, broadcast live uh, this morning from 8 to 10, and it really looked like it was well done. And it's going to be a great place, great venue to host the A-10 tournament and many other events up there as well. Commissioner Bernadette McGlade from the Atlantic 10. She was on with Big Al this morning and has graciously come back this afternoon to kind of give us a wrap on the day as well. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Great, Bob. Thanks. It's great to be back on the show. Good to see you today. Yeah, you've done a lot of these today. I know that. So now that it's uh, in the rearview mirror, what were your impressions now that you've gone through a a full-fledged event in that facility? My impression's really, really great. Uh, The building is looking fabulous. They were putting finishing touches on it even up until early this morning when they opened up the doors. You know, when you first walked in, you walked in, and I'm sure you noticed it had that new almost like a new car smell it had a brand new arena smell so it really looks beautiful i think it's going to be an unbelievable multi-purpose facility and the way that they constructed it to have it set up for a center court 35 3800 seat basketball arena center hung video board back of the house is top of the line um really impressed really impressed with the entire operation there um you know certainly dennis bickmeyer and his team and you know everyone up there in the county has has really should be proud of this building hey bernadette this is sean good to talk to you again good to talk to you hey i wanted to get your thoughts um just on what was it about the presentation of the folks with henrico county sports center and event center that led the A-10 to make this decision to have the tournaments of 2024 and 25 held there before the completion of the project itself? I think the relationship of the of the people. And, you know, as you all know well, obviously with Richmond and VCU, both A-10 member schools right there um, in the region, and then we had hosted um, our women's championship in, quote-unquote, the old Coliseum right downtown mm-hmm. for several years and, and really had a great working relationship with everyone in the city of Richmond. So when the county made the decision to move forward to build the sports arena and the event center, um, they came and met with us. And I think the fact that we had a pre-existing relationship, um, we, I had a great belief that I knew the project was going to get done and, you know, sometimes you have to be aggressive when you make decisions like this because the opportunity to be the first Division One conference championship in that building and kind of get some roots into a brand-new first-class facility like this, it really pays dividends for your coaches, your student-athletes, um, your conference as a whole. Um, and so, you know, it was, a, it was really a stack of reasons. Um, and when we took it to our athletic directors and our women's basketball coaches, they understood the partnership, and, and it was unanimously supported. 
Yeah, that was kind of where I was headed, Bernadette. Um, you know, to us, this seemed like a no-brainer. But you answer to 15 constituents mm-hmm. and all have to be on the same page. And I think that's really impressive if you had um, unanimous vote of the schools to do this at this point in time. Was was there, you know, some back and forth that went on there? It was, as you just said, pretty much everybody said mm-hmm. this was a good idea. Yeah, there was back and forth because we were in a – um, a contractual agreement, agreement up in Wilmington, Delaware. Our women's championship has been in the um, 76ers D-League building right there off of I-95 in Wilmington. And we had a, a two-year partnership with them. And, of course, they wanted to renew for another two years when this opportunity came along. And it really, that also is a great building. However, it had some limitations, which we knew when we went first to Wilmington, it, it was really built to be a D-League building. It wasn't meant to be a championship building with multiple teams, multiple days, high-volume you know, uh, fans and capacity. So all of those things are present in, in the new sports arena um, in Henrico. And it, it really, like, even from back of the house to the front of the mm-hmm. house concessions to, you know, all of the technology, all of the video, all of the – sports medicine area, officiating locker rooms, coaches' locker rooms. So there were just so many more amenities that we knew were going to come online. And that makes a difference when you're hosting such a large championship like the A-10 championship. It's a five-day event, 15 teams, 13 games. Um, you've been there, Bob. You know, it, it's a it's a big event. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bernadette, everybody's excited about the season, talking to, you know, to the coaches and the players there. They're really excited and looking at the preseason poll. Seemed like there's a lot of balance amongst the top five teams. Rhode Island preseason uh, predicted to win the conference. But, you know, you see some small gaps between Rhode Island, St. Joe's, St. Louis, Richmond, fourth, Duquesne, fifth. Only four points separating fourth and fifth. Ten points separating third and fourth. Do you kind of get the feeling that this could be a year where you get multiple bids in this year's NCAA tournament on the women's side? Yeah, I really hope so. I think the parity is definitely there. Um, I think the depth of the league is definitely there. When you have, you know, last year we had both, you know, everyone in, went into the championship mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be a fight to the finish between Rhode Island and UMass. And then, you know, we have St. Louis comes up and upsets everyone and wins the championship in overtime. And that's a perfect example of the parity in the league right now, the strength of the coaches. They've really done a a really good job kind of, I call it rebounding off of the transfer portal. (laughs) You know, the advent of the transfer portal has changed sort of how team depth is managed. So I I do think we have the opportunity. I think we're poised for, could be potentially a banner year. Hey, Bernadette, correct me if I'm wrong, but you will actually get an opportunity to see your conference tournaments in person (laughs) this year, the men and the women, because uh, I guess your time has come to a conclusion on the men's basketball committee. Am I right about that? Yeah, I can't be more excited. I'll tell you, as great an experience the basketball committee was, it was really, really hard to, and I missed the majority of the men's championship because I was able to go to the women's championship before they put us into seclusion. <laughs> so, but the fact that I will be able to go to both men's and women's championship, I'm, it's really exciting. And it's, it's one of the 
real um, bright spots I'm looking forward to come March. <laughs> and yet, and you alluded to this, kind, kind of give us how you would frame your experience on that committee and maybe how differently you will now look at Selection Sunday when you now mm. just sit in front of your TV and watch it like everybody else. Well, I think I'll be a lot less stressed, although you always are stressed wanting to wait and watch for your teams to come up on the screen. But having been inside the room, you know, the pressure builds. It builds from when we arrive there on Tuesday night, from Wednesday to Thursday. By the time we get to Thursday, already when you're in that room, you realize how few at-large spaces are really left and how many good teams there are around the country. So it's like a pressure cooker, and Friday the the stress is starting to mound, and then you know really it's almost a, it's they're like eighteen twenty hour days from Friday Saturday Sunday to get that bracket in the hands of CBS to go up on the air, and oftentimes every time every one of the years I was in, with the exception of the unfortunate COVID year, mm-hmm. but the four years that I was there. We had to build. We build multiple brackets. Like at three o'clock on Sunday, when there's some games still finishing, you know, we have to build and and double and triple check all of these data points. Sometimes for you know three, four, or five brackets. Hey, Brendan. With that being said, do, do you have an opportunity? I'm, I'm I'm assuming this, but do you have an opportunity to go back and talk to, especially the men's coaches and the ads, to talk to them? about maybe some things they can do to strengthen their resume or strengthen their chances for a potential at-large bids? Um, you know, after you have, you know, that experience, do you have that opportunity to talk to those coaches at either a uh, an A-10 meeting or just throughout the course of the offseason? Yeah, I do, but ironically enough, it's, the same messaging, whether, you know, that was before I was on the committee and after, you know, it, there, there's really no, there's no trickery in, mm. in getting an at-large into, into the bracket. At the end of the day, it really does come down to, like, who do you play, where are you playing, and did you win or lose? Like, there's nothing that replaces winning games, and, and we have guardrails that are in place like our we want all of our teams to come in to conference play having won 70 percent or more of their non-conference games Mm -hmm. and systematically over the course of the last eight years every time that's happened those teams have gotten into the bracket so you know we last year we kind of tripped ourselves up you know, we had more losses in that quad four category than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, what was the rationale or the reason? I, I don't know, you know, but when you're 15 teams, you know, and every if every team just takes one not-so-good loss, that's 15 bad losses for the league. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I think that, again, I think the coaches are really focused on they, – they, they, we have schedules. Everybody has built a schedule that is strong enough to be an at-large contender. I know that right now because mm. we study their schedules. Mm. Now it's a matter of getting the work done. And, and I'm a firm believer, and I'll tell you all, and I tell the coaches this when we meet with them. I meet with them in May and then talk with them throughout the summer. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to get the heavy lifting and the wins done in the non-conference schedule. Because if you go into the league with a winning record, 70%, then everybody's net 
scores are high and they start to feed each other like we've seen in other conferences. I got two questions, but I'm going to ask this one. Um, in the case, I'll, I'll put Richmond and VCU in, the, in, in this situation. When you have teams like that that have challenges of getting – either a high mid-major or a power five school to come to their place, either for a one and one or two for one, things right. of that nature. How, what, how do you, how do you present that to those coaches like coach Odom and coach Mooney of, of scheduling? You want to schedule hard and you want those teams to come there, but unfortunately for whatever reason, they, they don't get those power five or mid-majors to come to their home facility in that situation. As, as the commissioner, you know, how do you kind of guide them into, you know, trying to schedule quality opponents in that situation? Well, we really green light the schools when they build their non-conference schedule to jump into the MTEs and jump into these single-day, mm -hmm. um, third-party-owned neutral site games. That's where we can get the majority of our quad one, quad two non-conference games. And, you know, the unfortunate, and I wish the committee would take this more into consideration, you know, but they don't. And, of course, when I was in the room, I, I harped on this all the time, that, you know, there are the, the quad one teams, like, they don't want to come into VCU and play because they know they can get beat. They mm -hmm. don't want to come into Richmond's Coliseum. They don't want to come into to Robbins because they know they can get beat. And so there's this self-protecting, you know, kind of um, interest mm -hmm. on their part. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, maybe there should be some regulations for the good of the game nationally in terms of number of games you are allowed to play at home and then number of games that you basically have to go on the road and play on the road. I like that. That you mm -hmm. can't be. Yeah, yeah we, we, name, we can name a handful of schools right now between the three of us of, you know, quote unquote power schools that you know what they have all 12 or all 13 games at yeah. home yeah. Mm -hmm. and they just don't go on the road mm -hmm. so those are some things that I would like to see done nationally Great. but you know the only thing we can do is try to we, we try to help support the schools with some guarantee money mm -hmm. so that they can actually buy teams bring them into their home arenas because that helps season ticket sales it helps them um, and then also we just we green light them to be able to play some of these neutral games. Yeah. Finishing up with Atlantic 10, Commissioner Bernadette McGlade, uh, A-10 Women's Basketball Media Day was today, the men last week. Um, at this point, you're going into year 16, is that right? I think uh, I heard. You know, you, somebody's got to do the math. Today, they, everybody kept saying 16. Maybe my math is wrong. <laughs> I thought I was going into year 15. <laughs> So I'll go with my, that. Maybe my North Carolina degree is, is not serving me well on the math front. She started in 2008 is 15 years, but 16 seasons. There you go. I heard okay, Al yeah, say it this it. morning with you, so I'm like, okay, it's 16. I'll, is I'll, that right? That That's probably it's, right, though. That's good. 15 yeah. years, so we're both right. I, and I thought, of, I was thinking, I'm here 15, not 16. Don't <laughs> give me season. one more age. Yeah, right. <laughs> Believe me, we all, we all hear that. So from the, the <laughs> early years to 15 or 16, 
How different is your job now to continue to look to the future? Look, we've seen the rumors. We saw them yesterday on Twitter that the AAC is talking of ECU. And there are people out there saying, how can they be 15 teams? How can you be an odd number? Shouldn't you be looking for another team and get to 16? How has that kind of, you know, formed with the role that you have as commissioner of the A-10? Yeah, it certainly kind of has moved to the front burner. But, you know, for the last 10 years, and as you know, even when we, you know, invited BCU into the A-10 and George Mason and Davidson, I mean, realignment membership is always on all of our agendas with my president's councils, with my ADs. And, you know, it's something that you really have to monitor all the time. We're all dealing, too, with the influx of the NIL We've got kind of the Wild West going on with a lot of student-athletes and how the monetization of their name, image, and likeness is being conducted, which is a little bit challenging or maybe a lot of bit challenging right now. And then the advent of the transfer portal has added this extra layer of real complexity to each of the head coaches. I mean, being a head coach right now in the sport of Division One basketball is a, is a strategically challenging, <laughs> difficult job. And that's where, you know, our coaches, like Coach Mooney and everyone, I mean, they, they're, the, they're some of the best of the best because it, it's not like it was even eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are all things out from my chair that we have to manage, you know, from the league office. And then you have all your media rights deals that you're trying to protect. Mm-hmm. No question. Last one, Sean. This is my last question, Bernadette. Um, expansion. I know Coach Mooney had talked about this. Uh, last season about he is in favor of expansion. Have you heard from the men and the women coaches about if they would like expansion for the NCAA tournament? I know women's basketball has been incredibly popular the last four or five years. Um, how, are you hearing that more and more about expansion for both the men and women's basketball tournaments? I am, and I think the majority of our folks do support it and, and really would love to see it happen. I know my opinion is I am a fan. I'm in the camp of I think the bracket should be expanded. I think we're in a different day and time. There's this insatiable appetite for March Madness. You see it in the NFL. You see it in the NBA. You see Major League Baseball. You see in CFP expanding to be able to be able to have more inventory and, and create the events. And I, I do know from being on the committee, it's a complicated proposition, but I think it has to be really studied. And it, maybe it doesn't get expanded to the quote-unquote 96 teams that people are talking to. But is there a window of opportunity to expand it? Because it's not just a team getting in and thinking about a basketball unit from a revenue standpoint. But when you think about the impact to an institution, when their name goes up on that board, most institutions would give up the revenue distribution just to be able to get that that national brand exposure that impacts their undergraduate enrollment, the brand of their basketball program, of their whole institution. So there are so many residual positive things that come out of getting into the NCAA basketball tournament. I think if there's an opportunity to have more and still protect the iconic nature of the event, that should be studied, and that should be studied really, really closely. Good stuff. Yep. Let the games begin, Absolutely. Commissioner. Monday, November 6th for the men and the women, and the women wind up right here in our neck of the woods with their conference championship. Thank you all day long today, Commissioner McGlade, for your time, and look forward to seeing you at men's and women's games throughout the course of the year. 
Thank you. I look forward to seeing you both. Appreciate you. Thanks again. Bernadette McGlade, uh, year 1516, Commissioner. 15th year, 16th season. There you go, of the Atlantic 10. Uh, done a phenomenal job with mm-hmm. the expansion of the conference and the teams and the realignment and all of that has been has been great. And I, we're looking forward to having the women's tournament right here in our backyard. Even beyond the fact that it's Richmond and VCU, I think the entire conference will benefit from it. And it's going to look good for TV. And it, right, uh, it'll look good on win. TV. Yep. 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 Yeah. The other thing I loved about that, I was talking. I gotta get a break. Let's do the break. Yeah. <laughs> I'll hold that thought. We'll come Talk back. About the top of the hour. We will. There you go. All right, let's get the break in, and then we'll get you to the top of the hour. Uh, along with Sean Robertson, I'm Bob Black. You're in tune with the Sports Huddle 1061 ESPN.